welcome back to another episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Joel Penfield, as always, joined by Alex Duvall. How are you doing today, man? Joel, I am fantastic. I just got some wings thrown down on the smoker. They'll be ready in a couple hours for dinner. I cannot wait to enjoy some home-cooked wings, watch Chris Bubich pitch, and uh, enjoy my Monday evening. Awesome, man. That sounds like a good day. We, it's so much fun to be excited about who's going to pitch for the Kansas City Royals. Feel like feels like the last couple of years we haven't had that luxury, but we had Singer yesterday, Bubich today. It's it's exci- it's exciting to know uh, who's going to be on the bump for once. Yeah, for sure. I've been looking forward to tonight all day. Today was our teacher's first day back at work, so you know we were back at work for the first time. Really, this is my first day in the office since March after we got shut down. So um, it was it was nice to be able to know at work today that we were looking forward to something and. You know, tonight we're really excited. We have a um, former Major League Baseball player on with us. He is not just a former Major League Baseball player, but he uh, hosts a show, Breaking the Norm, on 810 WHB and ESPN in Kansas City. He's also a dear friend of mine, someone who I've, I've looked up to a long time. I think he started giving me pitching and hitting lessons when I was nine years old, so going on 16 years of uh, friendship now. So, uh, uh, please introduce uh, Les Norman to the podcast tonight. Les, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate you coming on. Um, Les, you spent um, time in the Royals organization. Um, you, you spent a lot of time in big league clubhouses, a lot of time in baseball in general. You now coach. You have a, a teenage group, the Saints, out of Lee Summit, Missouri. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, my youngest and I coached both my boys, but last summer, as my oldest was graduating high school, he decided to shut it down and move on to getting his degree and, and starting to study and having some free time in the summer. So now I just coach my uh, 15 slash 16 year old son, but it's still the Saints. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can remember being in the tunnels when I was, what, 10, 11 years old and they were right. running around. They were they were little bitty guys. I kind of <laughs> kind of crazy now. They're one of them's graduated and going to be off to school. Um, Les, you are obviously now that you're a coach and running an organization of your own, you know, leadership is, is number one. It has to be paramount for you leading young men, not only in baseball, but in life. And I've seen that firsthand. I know, you know, our, our relationship moved beyond the baseball field. And, um, and so the leadership that you have shown me throughout the years has, has, has been one thing. But, you know, as, as a baseball organization you know the Royals put a premium on veteran leadership on leadership in their coaches and and not just leadership on the field but developing men you know Dayton Moore talks about that all the time um what what can you tell us about not only leadership as it goes in a big league clubhouse but you know these these are human beings playing baseball but also living their day-to-day lives you know how important is veteran leadership how important is it to have a good manager leading these this group of men as they go throughout a 162 game season that you know I think a lot of people especially you call you like to call us the nerdery the analytic community that maybe has a hard time putting a value on that yeah and hey it's it's a term of endearment Alex it's not it's it's not me uh hammering on you you guys uh know more about a shift than I ever will or launch angle or all that stuff so look the answer to that question is obvious that yes it's so important but one of the things that this generation of baseball in the major leagues, throughout the minor leagues, and professional baseball, this generation gets it right when it all goes from the, t- from the top to the bottom. I mean, it's like any kind of kid 
you know, even with my son when he was eight or nine years old, even with you, Alex, and we were we were doing the baseball lessons thing, and and you were, you know, getting better, and you were uh, head and shoulders, not just height, but talent wise, above everybody. It came down to people will listen to what you say, but they'll follow what you know. And so for the last generation, when I played, there were a lot of years where it was told, 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 but you had these little factions and cliques and all these different areas where there was, there, there was no synergy on a team and, and leadership without synergy is a do as I say, not as I do kind of mentality and, and that result will come in the field. So in this next generation, we hire a general manager like Dayton Moore who knows all about leadership. He knows about example. He knows about faith. And he understands the importance that it doesn't happen overnight. And so from there all the way down, he's found coaches and players and front office people within the organization that are, one, strong leaders, two, have uh, led by both experience and failure and have gotten better. So there's been grace involved. But then the last part, too, it's about being coachable. And when you find players, yes, they're talented, but, but when you find kids that are coachable, and they may not be exactly where you want them right now, but when you find the coachable kids and then you mature the Alex Gordons and the Ian Kennedys and all these guys that are actual veteran leaders, that's when things start coming into play. So the last generation didn't get this so well. This generation has nailed it, especially in Kansas City. So I'm curious as a you know former member of the Kansas City Royals, and you've followed the team for many many years. You know you've watched, especially in this regime with Dayton Moore having Ned Yost for such a long time as a part of this organization. Now you have Mike Matheny brings a little bit of a different sort of dynamic to the clubhouse. I think we've seen that in the way he's managed and the way he's led. I'm curious what your thoughts have been on kind of the differences between the two, maybe some similarities that you've seen in the way they've led a clubhouse at this point. Sure, um, you know the. the the cool thing about the past couple managers, like Ned Yost and Mike Matheny, they both, you know, Ned Yost came from an organization where he was supposed to be doing something poorly. And, oh, this guy got fired in the middle of the playoffs, and he's not a good manager. And, you know, I was furious when they get let go of Kevin Seitzer. And I thought, man, they let the wrong guy go. They should let the manager go. And, of course, I was proven wrong there. But, but the cool thing is the similarities of, of these managers is that they, they've made mistakes and where the, the world – would say, all right, you guys need to get out of town. You have proven to be a failure. Let's not what grace is all about. And when you look at it through a leadership lens, people a lot of times that fail are hungry to get it right. And so you've really seen a similarity uh, in, in like those two types of managers. Um, I think where it's different now, also the similarity between the two is they're both really loyal, but what you're gonna see that's different and this is a younger man's game now. What you're going to see that's different with Mike Matheny, and you see a lot of shots that on TV where after a game he, he's just real excited and he's just throwing, he's fist pumping and all that. Mike won't be a guy that will sell his team out, but he will, but he will be a guy that will hold his players accountable. And that's not for the media. He's a fiery guy. He wants to win. I mean, that guy's still in the weight room lifting weights just like all those younger guys. And he's my age in his early 50s. And so, um, you know, he has a big family. His family adores him. He leads well. He's a man of faith. He examples it first and then says it later on. But there's always a fire about him. And, and I'll follow leaders, but you give me a leader that is open and is passionate and shows it, 
they know he's not a player, but they'll know that he has their back uh, and understands because he was a player for so long. He's had success. He's had failure, but he's going to keep you accountable, and he's, he's going to continue to make you a better person. Now, I'll end that, that part with this. You know, I, tell, I told my kids when they were little, and I'm sure you guys have parents, maybe you heard the same thing. There was a time when my sons had to understand, you're not my friend right now. I'm not raising my friends. I'm raising my sons. And later on in life, when you get older and you realize everything, then we can start being the friend along with the father-son relationship. With Mike Matheny, it's we can be buddies and we can have good relationships and all that, but make no mistake, I'm here to win and I'm here to make you a better ball player and I'm here to help you become a better man of moral fiber and strong character. And if you can't get on board with those three, then maybe you need to get somewhere else. But he does it in a way that, that makes them feel respected and, and backed and loyal. You know, it's interesting you bring up the idea that, that, that they're not buddies because when Mike Matheny was the manager in St. Louis, he was coming off what they hired him just a year or two after he retired from playing. So I, I don't know that it is an excuse or, but I brought it up on 810 the other day, or I'm sorry, I brought it up. I was, I was actually on our podcast with Alex Lewis that, you know, my, imagine if Matt Moore, the Chiefs backup quarterback, he retired and then the Chiefs hired him as the head coach and he called a play. And Patrick Mahomes said, actually, I think we should do this. Every player in that huddle is going to go, what did Pat say? Okay, we're going to do whatever Pat wants to do. Not that Matheny was put in a bad spot in St. Louis because he was put in a very talented clubhouse. But Yadier Molina was still the starter on that team while he was managing. Matheny had been his backup. So I feel like he was probably put in a really tough spot where, yes, he was the manager, but I kind of wonder how much – you know, respect, because you talk about, you know, how they do it and, and the way they lead and then talk later. That would have been really difficult for Matheny to go from the, the buddy that was the player to the manager. So, Les, I mean, I, I have to imagine that him coming over to Kansas City is a fresh start. He's really going to be able to lay the foundation of who he wants to be as a manager because except for Trevor Rosenthal, nobody there really knows who he was as a player before he became the manager. Yeah, Alex, absolutely. You know, it's the, I feel like they did put him in a tough situation. They should have known right there. You don't hire a backup catcher and then just flip-flop him over the, the starting catcher who's been around and is widely known as one of the greatest minds and arguably between him and Sal, one of the greatest catchers in the game. I mean, that was a mistake. Not to mention, St. Louis has a really fickle and unusual fan base and it's not because I grew up a Cub fan in Chicago and I played for the Royals although that might have a teeny bit to do with it but but in all seriousness you know it's a fickle fan base and every team wants to win but there's a different type of fan base in St. Louis where okay people grumble people grumble it's if you lose man get out of Dodge and into a to the 10th degree so you had a clubhouse in St. Louis when he got there that, look, we don't need a manager to be our friend. Just roll the dice and let him go. And so I think Mike, being a nice guy that he is, without that managerial experience and without having the separation of, you know, a few more years from player into manager, you know, that, that did not do him uh, any service whatsoever. And in turn, they obviously – he didn't leave town. They ran him out of town. And it was a benefit to us. 
But the good thing is, is that when the Royals hired him, they put him in the front office in a low key position. They didn't make a, didn't make a whole lot of conversations. I, I know, I don't, know how many times people said this Mike Matheny work for the Royals it's like yeah they hired him like a year ago or two years ago like really I just you never hear about him and that's because he was building up that time and building up that that credibility and learning the system and all that and so I'll bet if you ask Mike Matheny to be where he is now if he'd have had to go through the St. Louis thing again he probably would say that he wouldn't have changed anything because it taught him so much more. And he's going to be better for the Royals. Royals fans should be glad he went through what he did, because he's going to be better for this Royals team and these Royals players than he was when he was in St. Louis. Yeah, I don't think his his story then is, is too dissimilar from a guy like Alex Gordon, where Alex Gordon, by I think most accounts, most people would argue that he came back this year not because the Royals thought he was going to be an all-star left fielder, but because he leads by example – He's a really good example for the young guys to know what it looks like to work. But he wasn't always struggling as bad as he is now. Alex Gordon was the richest player in Royals history for a reason. He was coming off a four-season, five-season stretch of being one of the best outfielders in all of baseball. And then now he has gone through his struggle. So the Royals have, you know, a guy in Whit Merrifield who was left off the World Series roster because of his struggles. Now he's an all-star. They have a leader in Alex Gordon who has seen the side of success and is now going through his own struggles. They have a manager in Mike Matheny who they said on the broadcast the other night actually has one of the best winning percentages of any manager in baseball who's been around as long as he has. But he obviously got, like you said, run out of town in St. Louis. And now he's kind of on his redemption story with the Royals. What, what does that mean, I guess, to these young kids? Brady Singer, Chris Bubich, they, they've come up now. They've seen their leaders struggle. They've seen their leaders succeed. How much? How how far do you think that goes? Like the, the the value that you can never put on that kind of leadership. Like what does that mean for those younger kids? Well, I I, I think it gives them someone to follow. But I think as they go from that almost that puberty type thing where I'm just growing into my own as a player and I'm just learning this game as they play year after year underneath these leaders like Salvi and AG and all those guys. And then with Matheny, it's also teaching them later on that when I get to that position, it's teaching them how to lead other people. But, but more than that, it's teaching them how to go about business every day, how to prepare, how to play hurt, how to be smart when you're injured, um, how to be a good teammate, how to be respectful of people around you. Um, how to be a good husband, how to be a good father, how to have a good balance between, yes, a game is your career, but after a while, it's going to slowly come closer to a career as you get older because your body's going to hurt more. And so um, I just think that these young guys are seeing a leader that isn't perfect because there are none. And it just gives them an opportunity to learn more about themselves, not just to be like a, a a baby duck and fall in line and follow mama around anytime you learn. And while you learn, it gives you an opportunity to grow as a person. Then that is invaluable leadership. I think it's, especially in today's age where I, I don't want to, well, I think anymore, it's really important to have a leader who can identify with a younger crowd. Whereas if let's say they brought in 
George Brett, like that, like they did during the World Series run. And it, it it was thought that you know they the Royals never came out and said this. The media really never came out and said it, but there were whispers that George Brett really just didn't click with the younger guys at the time because George Brett really didn't ever fail ever in his major league career. George Brett is he. Like the old adage goes that the best players don't always make great coaches because they don't know what it's like to have to struggle to be really good. And so it's almost a blessing that they didn't bring in a guy like George Brett like they did in the past because sometimes those words fall on deaf ears. Um, and, and so I don't know. I was When they hired Matheny, I think a lot of people a lot of people looked at that hire and went, man, you just this dude just got run out of town by St. Louis – but they never really bothered to dig into to the story of Mike Matheny. They never really bothered to do any digging, any research. Right. I remember two years ago, it was 2018, or I'm sorry, it was 2019, uh, Ned Yost's uh, last year. And it was the year Mike Matheny was going to be in that advisor role. And I was at spring training, and I was standing at the top of the concourse in surprise, watching the game. I was getting ready to leave. And I bumped into the guy on my right. And it was Mike. It was, it was Mike. He was sitting there watching the end of the game from the concourse. And I was just kind of like, oh, hey, shook his hand, didn't really say anything to him. But he didn't act like I had bothered him. He didn't act like there had been any kind of inconvenience, you know, by me introducing myself. I didn't even acknowledge that I knew who he was, just introduced myself and, you know, apologized for having bumped into him like he was any other guy. And I, I don't like this probably sounds weird. But you can tell in a man when you meet him when you shake his hand when you look him in the eye what they're about and if they're you know immediately are they a good guy or a bad guy you know just that sense of a judgment of character and man just the the way he carried himself and the way he didn't act like he was inconvenienced at all by me running it right into him it's just like man this is this is a good dude that you know knowing nothing else about him like I, i'm excited for him because everybody kind of knew he'd be the next manager so I know there were a lot of people critical of the hire at the time, but I'm really happy with how it's turned out. And by the way, the way he has incorporated the modern analytics into his managing strategy, which is not something that was advertised for him coming in, has been a really, really pleasant surprise as well. Yeah, it has. You know, it was obviously a, uh, a great hire because I knew the guy. We played in the, the Arizona Fall League together riding buses, having conversations. You know, the one time in my minor league career, I charged the mound. He was catching for the other team in AAA. And uh, we were just laughing at the bottom of the pile while he was, you know, 225 pounds of muscle laying on top of me and I couldn't move. But um, I knew the guy behind all that. I mean, there was a stretch of about 12 to 15 years where we hadn't seen each other. And I was out at Kauffman Stadium doing an event while he was managing the, the Cardinals. And so I had to walk through their side. It was early in the day and there were people in the weight room, you know, just hearing screams and guys laughing and all that. And Matheny comes walking out, who's this towering beast of a human being. And again, I hadn't seen him in forever. He's like, Les, how are you? And gave me this huge bear hug and picked me up off the ground and spent the next 10 minutes. Tell me about your family. Tell me what's going on with you. I mean, it was like 15 years had passed, but not a minute had gone by. And so that's just the type of person that he is. It's, it's the type of person that he cares about. And what most people don't know is when the Royals hired him, he called a meeting with the entire front office. When they hired him as manager, he called a meeting with the entire front office. He had this big booklet made that says about his family, his faith, his values, 
you shared his heart with everybody and he gave everybody a chance to talk to to get to know them not just mike getting to know mike, get them getting to know mike but mike getting to know them and he took the time to help people understand this isn't a managerial position of an us and them it's every single person in that stadium works together to, to put that good product out in the field. And that again, is just an amazing example of leadership. The fans don't know, and you can't blame them because they're interested. I pay my ticket. I am a fan of who I want to be. And I expect wins and losses. I get that. I understand that completely. But what really matters in the lives of these players in this organization is what the person is. I mean, you think about this, we are who we are. The character of a man is who we are when we're in a room with the door closed and nobody else is around. What we say, what we think, and what we do. And, you know, we can all put the fake thing out there, but Mike Matheny doesn't do that. He is this guy all the way around. And if people would take the time to understand that, they will realize the type of character and leader that they have in him. So what do you think is next for this team? Because Alex Gordon's on a one-year you know, one year deal. Likely they're probably they're not going to bring him back next season in 2021. So we talked about the importance of having a guy like that in your clubhouse, you know, manager side, but just the you know a guy that anybody uh, that on that in that organization on that team can go to for advice, whatever, because they've been there, done that, they've you know paid their dues for many many years. How does how does things change in the clubhouse when you lose a guy like that? Uh, what do you you know? Because not everybody has that innate quality to just take on a clubhouse. We don't know if anybody has that in the clubhouse right now. Gordo seems to be that guy. So what do you think is next for this team trying to find that next person that can fill that role? Well, sadly, it's uh, obviously the future of the Royals and in, in any winning that happens is not going to be with Alex Gordon because they're not going to win a World Series this year. It's a weird, crazy year with the COVID pandemic anyway. But the cool thing about them signing him back and he was willing, this shows the character of Alex Gordon that He's not just here to be a leader. He's here to play and produce and get on the field and all the gold gloves. He's earned that opportunity and, and to be able to get on the field. But this becomes a transition year for him so these younger guys can see what it's like one more year. And then when Alex retires and rides off into the sunset, which I'm sure he will with a big old thoroughbred, you know, th then these young guys are going to have another year of experience. But they, they also have guys like Kennedy. They also have guys like Salvi. Um, Whit Merrifield, even though he hadn't been playing too long, is now a seasoned veteran and is successful. So you have guys around that have played this game long enough. And so it, it, the cool thing is, is that he's – Alex is there to, to help. I mean, it was like when um, we got a new puppy, you know, we had this lab and then we got a golden and we didn't think this, this lab was going to be around. And so, but he spent the first year training our younger one. And now I've got like the smartest dog in the world. It's unbelievable. And it's not just because it's a smart breed. It's because he had the older veteran dog to lead him in the right and wrong things in life. So it's, it's just really cool to see Alex still be there. We know he won't be there. I think there's a great, I mean, you guys said at the beginning of the podcast, think about every day, how exciting it is. Who's pitching tonight? Is it Singer? Is it Boobich? Is it Keller? You know, is it Duffy? Is it Singer? I mean, who, who's it going to be? And, and that's really neat to see. And we haven't had that in a while because a lot of times we would say, okay, who's pitching tonight? Oh, that guy? Oh, man. I think maybe I got something to do tonight. Or you're expecting something negative, like we're going to get beat by 10 runs. So it's not like that anymore. And even if they did, they're young, they're coming up. And so 
this Royals team, in my opinion, is really primed over the next few years to do something really good because you have young guys that are already proving talented. We're finally getting a strong and stable starting rotation. Our bullpen has been locked down, and we have at least the potential to score a lot of runs. And so um, I like the way it looks, and I think that there's still going to be enough leadership there, like with Salvi and other guys, that continue to bring these younger guys along. Brad Keller's already going to step into that role. Duffy's going to be a guy that steps into that role. So everywhere you look in every facet of the game, the Royals have leadership that is continuing to develop or is in place that keeps this a firm foundation. And I think we've seen evidence of that back in 2015. You know, 2014, Billy Butler was around, and, and the guy that they traded for to reset the culture of the organization, right, James Shields. Yep. They both 100%. depart from the team after the 2014 season. So in 2015, those guys are gone, but now we see Eric Hosmer, we see Mike Moustakis, we see Danny Duffy, we see Salvador Perez step up and be those leaders. So I, I think it's it's easy to say, okay, yeah, Alex Gordon's here, he's training them. But, I mean, we've seen evidence of that. We have seen – Danny Duffy learn from James Shields and then step up and be the leader of the staff and be the leader of the team. So not only, you know, are we, is it, this isn't a theoretical discussion. We've seen this in action on this team before, which is really cool to see because it would be one thing if Dayton Moore talked about leadership, but really we never saw these examples, but it is obvious on the field, the, the, the leadership qualities that these guys express and and, man, I think that's, that's one of my favorite parts of being a Royals fan is how much that really does mean to them, and, and, and they, they put their money where their mouth is in that regard. Yeah, you know what? I would have given anything to be a player in this generation, in this organization, than I was back there. And I'm not going to throw a sink – well, I'll throw Bob Boone's name out there because I, I, I've never been a secret that I'm not a fan of that guy. That guy was uh, – he was a great catcher and a great player, but as a manager, that guy was in for himself, man. And, and, and that's why he never had that clubhouse. That's, you know, you can say he lost because in 162 games, he had 158 different lineups, which, you know, the nerdery you guys could figure, you imagine the odds of all that, what that, how, and there's only nine spots. So that's crazy. But he, that wasn't why he lost. And we had talented players and that wasn't why he lost. The, the clubhouse just wasn't there. I mean, you had great leaders like Jeff Montgomery and uh, Mark Gubiza and guys like that on the field, but that team couldn't win. I mean, come on. So um, there, there should be a lot of players and a lot of other organizations or guys like me that are alumni that just wish they could have played under the tutelage and leadership of Dayton Moore, Mike Matheny, and, and all that staff. Yeah, I think, you know, people a lot of the time – in fact, I saw somebody on our, on our mentions and Twitter mention this today. You know, the first thing he mentioned in a discussion about Dayton Moore was the wins and losses. And, A, that is, in my opinion, ridiculous because Dayton Moore has more pennants than any other GM in recent Royals history and really in any other AL GM in, in recent history because – I think the Royals and the Astros are the only two AL teams win multiple pennants in the last 10 years. Boston maybe, so there's three teams, and the Royals are one of them. But B is, like you said, the number of players that want to play for this organization and 
Dayton Moore goes out there and he gets like three of the five top undrafted free agents um, from this year's draft class. Like it is clear that people want to be a part of this organization. So, you know, that, that is, I think, paramount. Yes. The winning and losing is important. And that is what he gets paid to do is to win baseball games. But the, his development in the urban youth Academy, his insistence on putting money into a scout team, the Royal scout team so that teenage kids can go play baseball with you know members of the royals front office where they're being watched they're being taught how to do things from the ground up so um not only his leadership on the field with the team but in the community as well man is 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 some it's admirable at worst but it is you know i think david glass changed the future and the fortune of the royals organization when he hired dayton moore back in 07 yeah within the first two minutes of the first conversation i had with dayton moore he was convincing me that I should be serving in the community and, and being involved with the Urban Youth Academy as much as possible because I had a platform, I had a radio show, I was on TV, I was a speaker, I was an author, all these different things and, and coaching my own kids at the time. And so, um, yeah, it's just, um, and it wasn't like, well, you should be doing this. And if you're not, you're a bad person. It was like, man, it is great to meet you, heard a lot about you. and said that and then you know the next time I saw him I reach out his reach out my hand to shake his hand and gives me this big bear hug so you know he's a loyal open guy and um yeah he he gets before he understands baseball before Dayton Moore understands the character of a player and and the whole business model leadership model of athletics and work he understands life more than that and he's not perfect he's no savior nobody is except one and we know who that was but um, he just – he gets it, and that's what the most important thing is. It's very easy sometimes, especially in the modern day of baseball, to get kind of lost in the numbers because there's so many thrown at us, and especially if you're like Alex and I that really love to dive into that stuff and, you know, look at what a player can do and how it relates to on-field on field performance, future performance, valuation, evaluation, all that. But there is so much of baseball, too, that you just can't – you can't put it in a computer. You can't put a number to it. There's so many – intangible, you know, things that you, you know, that are part of the game that you can't quantify. And I think the Royals do a great job, especially now, uh, especially I think with the way that Mike Matheny's managed analytically, you know, and his ability to be with players off the field as well. They find a way to find that balance. It's so important because you fall too, oh, fall too far to one side, then you're, you're just looking at players as just a dollar sign or, you know, just their OPS or whatever. And then you don't look into the real person. I think it's so important what the Royals are able to do right now, being able to kind of play both sides of the coin there. Absolutely. And guys, I'm telling you, it's, this is the generation that has gotten it right in Kansas city. It's a different game. Um, every year is going to be different. A new generation is going to come through and they're not going to do it the same, but I'm telling you this generation has gotten it right. And I just, I hope even the fickle, the most fickle of fan understands what they have and they would look deeper you know, that just looking at wins and losses is like looking at one of those pictures where you have to slowly let your eyes cross and get double vision in order to see the picture behind it, which we're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Wait a minute. I don't see it. Do you see it? And you got to stare at it forever. Look through the wins and losses and, and see what's really going on behind the scenes. And that you can hit your wagon to that. Les, thank you so much for your time today. We have one more question for you. We ask it to everyone that we interview. It's if you could go back. <laughs> In the hot tub time machine, 
go and watch one moment live in person in baseball history, what would it be? Wow, man. Um, there would be so many, but you're making me say one. Yes. Uh, it's very hard. I understand. Yeah. You know what? Um, uh, on the field thing, um, I would say to, I would want to see like one of Babe Ruth's home runs. I don't, I didn't need to see McGuire's. I didn't need to see Sosa's. I didn't need to see Bonds. None of that. I'd want to see like the, either the Babe Ruth home run or the Roger Maris home run, something like that. I mean, if I'd have been a pitcher like you, Alex, you know, maybe yours was a pitching thing. I would have probably said one of Nolan Ryan's seven no hitters or something like that. Maybe to be there where Randy Johnson blew up the bird in spring training when he threw the pitch and that oh, that seagull exploded. But for me to see, because remember back then in that time, if you put yourself in that time, it is uh, to have one guy. I mean, you know, you're talking coming out of a great depression. You're talking about the, the, you know, these major leaguers were delivering milk and doing different things in the offseason, and these were their stars. And what something like that can, can bring a country out of is, is unheard of. And so I think it's probably either a Babe Ruth or a Roger Maris home run. That'd be, have you ever seen the, um, it's an, Adam Sandler's in the skit. He is the uh, pitcher when they invent baseball. <laughs> No, I haven't I have seen, seen that. that. Yeah, I can't remember what movie that's out of, but it is. I'll send you the link here in a little bit. But yeah, it I want to check that out. Absolutely hilarious, and and you're bringing up like old, like baseball memories. Like I think I, I've, every time we record this podcast, I think this is episode 24. Joel asked that question, and I always sit here and think like, where would I go? And you know, the Kirk Gibson home run would be cool, but I think I've decided that if I couldn't be one of the guys running next to Hank Aaron when he broke the home run record. I would want to be on the field when the first pitcher threw the first curveball. Like, can you imagine, like, the look on everybody's face? Every, like, every game you ever played, ball comes in, you swing and hit it. Ball comes in, you swing and hit it. Now all of a sudden it's moving. The advantage goes from the hitter to advantage to the pitcher, and the game of baseball changes forever in our favor. So I think that might be – that's that might be my final answer, but – uh, I knew it'd be something pitching-wise, dude, and it's because you had <laughs> it's because you had such a good curveball. That doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> the guy changed the game, man. He he gave us a leg up for the rest of eternity. That's awesome. I was a lefty, not to rely on that because I threw seventy-five. So I had I had to I had to pitch backwards. <laughs> that's all right, man. That's still that's still bringing it, depending on how old you are. Uh, so that, that was my senior year of high school. Okay, well, listen, <laughs> Jamie Moyer played over 20 years with a 75-mile-an-hour fastball, so I'm not knocking your speed, brother. From the time I was nine years old, and I actually lived in Washington, in Fort Lewis, Washington at the time, every pitcher I ever I, – every pitching coach, every coach I ever had said, oh, it's Jamie Moyer because I, had, I threw, I threw <laughs> under-hitting speed with a good changeup. That was pretty much it. Nice. Well, you did, it was guys like you that shortened my career, brother, because I could never figure you out. <laughs> You know what, I'll, I'll take a little something in that, that's for sure. Well, hey, Les, thank you so much for your time today. I'll do a quick social media plug for anyone that may not follow you, any of our listeners. Uh, where can they do that? Where can they follow your work? Yeah, on Twitter, it's just at LNorman22. Uh, my website has podcasts. Les, uh, it's uh, lesnorman.com forward slash radio. And then we're actually shooting out a podcast too. Just the Break in the Norm podcast is now available out there on you know, iTunes and Stitcher. And if, if there is a place out there that, that holds podcasts, we're now officially out there as well. So we've got the radio show on Sports Radio 810 Saturdays at 7. 
on ESPN Kansas City, 94.5 FM, Tuesdays at 4. Uh, this week, we actually have Sean Casey, uh, former Red, coming on the show. And so, yeah, but the main thing is the website, lesnorman.com. All right, Les, thank you so much, and hope we can get you on again soon. I'd love to continue this conversation. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank <laughs> you.